0: Whether it's for work or play, we rely on home internet so much these days. Being connected and staying connected has never been more important. So if you want reliable internet, bought you at speed, switch to Aussie Broadband. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Find out more at aussiebroadband.com.au. T's and C's apply. G'day guys and welcome back to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Dylan Buckley. Wow, we huge guest this week, and that's just not in stature, I'm talking height, this guy was big, Uh, I'm calling it Australia's best ever basketballer, I actually can't believe I actually got to sit down with him, it's quite incredible. Uh, Plenty of cool stories, Uh, we learned obviously about how it all happened, uh, what was the first thing he bought when he got his first paycheck, uh, his rivalries in the NBA, and um, some interesting stories about some poker games on planes. Also guys, this week, do me a favour, jump on iTunes or wherever else you listen to the show and give it a review. Good, bad or ugly, I love it. I love the feedback. It'll be great. I really, really appreciate that one. And also, we cannot forget, this episode would not be possible without the great Bonds Australia. Bonds Aussie Bordies. Get ready for summer. Let's go. Hi, this is the Dill and Friends podcast. I'm Deborah, Dylan's mum. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you like the show as much as I do.
1: And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.
0: Andrew Bogut, mate, this is huge. Dylan Friend's podcast. Uh, look, we get some big guests on the show, but this one is uh, this one's instrumental, mate. I'm I'm quite honoured. Uh, look, I'm not a massive fan of basketball, but I'm a huge fan of yourself. So, uh, mate, welcome.
1: Thank you, thanks for having me
0: It's been huge uh, Look, I want to take you back to a little story Because obviously you got picked up Number one of the draft, Milwaukee Bucks Number six Long time ago Long time ago yeah. Now, if you look at me, my name's Dylan Buckley So straight away as a kid you hold on to something You know you have those really freakish sort of loves for things and yep. you get a bit obsessed and it gets weird Bucks that was me that was me that was me and you real bad yeah, yeah, so yeah. as soon as that happened it was jump on MSN Bucks underscore Bogut six at Yeah. and that was my thing wow because it was just Milwaukee Bucks on <laughs> Bucks you're number six yeah, so when yeah. I went and played basketball it was terrible yeah. but I just went there number six for a long time until I realised it just wasn't for me yep. um, I kept getting fouled off because I didn't yeah, understand yeah. The, the rules <laughs> can't take Speckies yeah can't right. take Speckies so um, no, I just want to get that out of the way uh, quickly, just in case you'd heard and thought about it a bit awkward. But um, no, mate, I've, I've gotten over it, but I, I still admire it. Um, incredible career, man. Incredible and still going, obviously. But uh, the last 15 years, especially of late, uh, you've, you've taken Australian basketball to the new level. Um, how have you seen the growth of Australian basketball, especially now you're at the, at the Kings and the NBL is flying? Um, what are your thoughts on, on that?
1: Yeah, it was a work in progress when I first, um, first got drafted. Um, it wasn't... It wasn't a, you know, it was hard to find anything basketball. You couldn't even get a, a little blurb in the paper. Um, so we didn't have any NBA players. We had a we had a massive drop off from when when Luke Longley retired. Mm. Um, Chris Anstey kind of was over there for a couple of years. Shane Heal, but no one really with a. With a long tenured career in the NBA, um, so I was kind of that guy in the early 2000s, and, and created history with being the first Aussie to be the number one pick. Um, and then it created a bit of buzz, but it still wasn't great. But it slowly got some legs, a bit more media attention, and, and it was a there was a bit of a strategy around every time I came home to Australia, I was trying to get get into the media and, and yeah. do as much as promote I can promote the game. Yeah, newspapers, go on the footy show, go and do as much as I can to actually see a basketball doing some media and. Then all of a sudden, you know, Paddy Mills comes along, mm. and Dover and Joe Ingles, and, and Ben Simmons, Dante. I mean, the rest is history. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of a proud moment, as I, I like to think. You know, without without sounding arrogant or cocky, like I was kind of the start. You the pioneer, the yeah, start of sure. that chain. Um, so I'm very proud of that, and, and put basketball in Australia on the map. Where scouts now are flying out here to watch our young fellows play, which is probably the most important thing. When, when I first started, we. You know, when I was a young fella, we couldn't even get a college scout out here to watch yeah. an Australian kid play. And now you've got you've got a hundred college scouts coming out to our nationals. You've got NBA scouts coming out, and it's, it's tremendous for our game.
0: So that's incredible. So guys can get actually get picked up from the NBA these days.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, not if for they're college. Enough, yeah, they're good enough, they're going to go To the NBA, yeah, yeah. But, but even just the junior level yeah. Like our under-16s nationals yeah. now have, have scouts coming out Which which is, you know, when I was when I was 16, 17, under-18s, under-20s We could barely get scouts out from, from, from crappy college teams yeah. Whereas now you've got North Carolina and Duke And Kentucky sending out scouts to watch our young fellas play Which which is a huge, important step
0: Yeah, so we talk about the league here in Australia And obviously, like we said, it's, it's gone massive So LaMelo Ball comes over here Signs with the Illawarra Hawks do you reckon he got here and thought I'm stitched up? Why am I not at the Kings? At the Bondi, aren't we both? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe Bondi's not a bad place. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's, no it's, Bondi It's no Bondi though. It's it's you, can, you can always drive up the highway if he wants to get out. It's no eastern suburbs. It isn't. But um, yeah, it's it's great for our league. Like the the fact that not only him but RJ Hampton, who's with the Breakers as well, is projected to be a first round pick next year as well. For them to actually look at. Australia as a viable option to go. was unheard of probably three or four years ago. Um, so we've got a lot of homegrown talent that are staying here in Australia. Obviously I came back, a few other guys, like David Anderson come back from his illustrious career in Europe and I think, you know, even if a guy like David Anderson is on his last legs or a guy like me is on the last legs, it still solidifies the NBL as a, as a, as a good route yeah. and gives them cred um, and respect amongst the world for people like Lamello Ball to say, hey, you know, if Andrew Burgess playing there, maybe maybe it is a decent league and it's well-organised and, and professional and um, so far so good and, and just the amount of eyeballs we're getting just from from Lamello Ball with all the attention he gets Crazy. with his reality show and YouTube channel and all that, <laughs> it's sensational and I think the NBL, you know, should be commended for, for the next star program which essentially has allowed um, a guy like that to come over.
0: Unreal. Uh, from Dandenong suburbs, uh, Croatian descent, playing some basketball, then going from that to the number one pick in the NBA. But it wasn't always smooth sailing, was it? There was some there was some times that we thought you, you weren't even gonna make some teams.
1: Oh, numerous times, yeah. I mean, as a young fellow, I had a, had a label with an attitude problem, um, you know. Looking, was that
0: fair enough, do you think, or?
1: It was fair enough if you were from the outside looking in, but people didn't know me on a daily basis to know that it was I was so passionate about the game of basketball and so passionate about winning. Um, where, you know, in under 12s, if a kid was hogging the ball, I'd lose my shit, you know? so. When you're a parent on the sideline looking at a kid like that, you think, oh, this this kid's got an attitude problem, he's a bad teammate, whatever, but it was, it was never from a bad place and at times misunderstood, but I, I kind of accepted that um, and got labeled with that early in my career, which I, I didn't really mind. Um, in saying that, if I recruited a kid today, I'd take that kid that is overly passionate and... Um, because I think that can be tunneled in the in the right direction. than a kid that's too cool for school. That's just my opinion on it. But um, ended up getting cut from from a team under 16s uh, down on Rangers. Got put into the third squad, the third team. Um, and moved moved clubs. Um, and ended up ended up in Sandringham. Um, tried out for the Vic under 18 team. I, I was really thought I was getting better and better. Tried out for the under 18 state team and, and got emergency. So. Wasn't in the in the ten. I'd only got to go if someone got hurt, so that really pissed me off. Um, the positive of that was every kid that made it over me, I was going to eventually play against with my club team, um, and basically put it on a calendar that every one of them that I played, I, I tried absolutely kill, and, and I, I I did. Um, I ended up getting a um, an invite to the All Australian camp at the end of that year, which isn't normal because to get an invite to that All Australian camp, you generally have to go to the Nationals, probably similar to footy. So I didn't go to the Nationals because I was an emergency. So I was the one kid that showed up at this camp. No one had any idea who the hell I was because I wasn't at the Nationals. And I still remember, I went in with a mindset of just absolutely game busters. and um, they offered me a scholarship on the first day of camp um, to go to the AIS. So okay. that, all, that all worked out well. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I feel like if I made that state team, I probably wouldn't be here today. And then the next step from that was the AIS, obviously, and then college was a whole other challenge. Um, I played for for a guy named Rick Majerus, um, one of the toughest coaches, um, probably ever to to coach in college basketball, probably up there with Bob Knight. Um, And he made you question whether you, how much you love the game on a daily basis. He was one of those coaches. So I, I almost just left and went to sign in Europe halfway through my college career, just because I just lost the love and enjoyment of the game just because he was he was he was so hard on on plays um, but he ended up he ended up leaving halfway through the year funnily enough and then my arrow kept going up and then second year of college we had a new coach it blew up you know all-american swept all of the awards and and then was taken with the number 1 pick
0: incredible uh, it's funny you talk about all those sort of setbacks and and hard times because I spoke to Stephen Canelio a couple of weeks ago on the show and um we were sort of talking about our junior careers and how it worked out for us and <laughs> I think that if I look at your story, like I was, I was one of those kids that was always sort of, not too cool for school, but nothing really bothered me. I just sort of made the teams and got in and sort of like floated through. And then when I got to an elite system, I wasn't ready for like setbacks and that sort of yeah. thing. And it was like a massive shock. And he, so- he spoke about those things. Just set him up for life because what happened then, and it seems like exactly yourself. All those setbacks made you to who you were. Now you wouldn't have gone number one, and you wouldn't have had this attitude now if those things didn't happen.
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a case to be told about that. Um, I think if you if you're that good as a junior, like all the kids in under 12s and 14s that were the best juniors in the state or the country, that none of them made it professional. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of interesting to, to, to study that. I don't know. Human nature then says you probably don't have to work as hard or put as much time in as a kid that, that, that isn't as, isn't as talented, and I think it just makes you fight for everything you got, and, and also respect and and really cherish what you do have once you get it. Um, whereas I think if you're if you're talented from a really young age, which isn't a knock on that kid, it's probably they don't know any better. You, you kind of got to have good guidance as well. Yeah, and you don't probably you, you take it for a little bit for granted as a young kid, like it's just come so easy to you. And I was I was a big lanky, you know, always one of the taller guys. Body was hadn't caught up with, you know, ball skills and kind of just awkward. Um, so I always had to put in the extra work just to keep up at a minimum level. Where there was a lot of the smaller guys or guys that were just naturally talented as a, as young kids, they could just turn it on. Um, so it made you really value, you know, made me really really value that. The daily grind of putting in time and effort and, and hours off the, away from game time where people aren't watching I really reap the rewards of that because I know that I was putting in way more time than anybody else mm. so from that you get to the RAS. what did that mean it was huge for me um, so my dream was always to to be somewhere where I could get access to a basketball court 24 seven so it sounds silly but in Australia it's at times it's hard to get get into a um, into a into a basketball facility because they're generally council-owned or community-owned, and one day they might rent it to the, someone wanting to play badminton or yeah. <laughs> soccer or a child-minding service or you know, a yoga group, who knows? Mm. So um, you could never really get in the gym when you wanted to, and um, the fact that I could have a basketball court with 3 courts, state state-of-the-art at the AS, unbelievable world-class facility, outside my bedroom, um, to me was just mind-blowing. So that was the most exciting thing for me, and then obviously seeing world-class athletes on a daily basis from different sports... Makes you, um, you know, makes makes you really realise that you're up there with with some of the best of talent in Australia, um, and one day hopefully be an Olympian and, and, and carry on that, that that flame.
0: Who were you knocking around with at the at the camp there? Who was there other athletes around that time that you still sort of catch up with or?
1: Yeah, so our junior team was the most successful junior team in, in basketball Australia history uh, under 19 level. We we're the first team, the only team still to this day to win a, to win a gold medal at under 19s. Wow. Um, a lot of guys, those, those guys went pro. One of them is an assistant coach at Sydney Kings, Alex Marriage, He's a good friend of mine. Um, a lot of guys went to college and had pretty decent careers. So um, we, we generally hung out with just the basketball guys, hung with the basketball guys. There was obviously soccer players there. There was, I mean, Costa Zoo would come through there every now and then and base himself there. So as a young kid, seeing different talent from different different sporting codes as well kind of gives you a pretty good rev up.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I've been told there's a place on... Uh, in near the AOS, uh, Mooseheads nightclub.
1: Mooseheads, yep. Is that is
0: that what does that mean? to You is it, it's a, apparently it's a bit of a a club where everyone likes to go and spend their time uh, out in camp. Yeah, I,
1: didn't, I didn't go clubbing a lot because yeah. I was I was underage. Oh. My um my first year, I did have a fake ID and got out every now and then. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, it was it was harder for me to get out than the the older fellas Um but that was definitely a spot I think that closed my second year so I never really experienced moose heads we, didn't we, get had, a, we had a few other places in Canberra that we used to go um, but the, the funny thing was about our group at the AS. we were the most talented basketball group ever to go to the AAS but we were probably the, um, the worst off the court <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble yeah we got in a what lot of trouble what sort of uh, things just mischievous stupid yeah. stuff that 16 year olds do like we'll you know we'll sneaking out of the IAS we've uh, figured out ways of how to you know sneak girls in <laughs> figured out ways of, of, of how to get out and about away from the cameras like yeah. we'd, we'd figured out ways of how to you know the AIS yes, essentially once you're in it is, is, is jail like you've yeah. you got swipe cards so those swipe cards don't let you exit basically from 10pm till 6am so we found, figured out ways of how to, how to get around that they've since built I think six years ago they rebuilt the residences basically based on how how we used to mess with the <laughs> place I think because now it's, you can knock it out you stuffed it up everyone you can knock it out of yeah. Yeah. there's, a, there's <laughs> literally cages and stuff so when we were there we um yeah we definitely got in a lot of mischief and caused the ruckus but it was part of, part of you know, sixteen sixteen year old kids moving out of home, away from their parents. You know, we we definitely got in some trouble. <laughs> so from the
0: AIS, and to that stuff, into having meetings with colleges, and how did that all come about from there? What was that sort of like?
1: Um, uh, for me, it was so enough. When when it was the school holidays from the AAS or holidays, I'd go back to Melbourne for Christmas and that, and I was training with the Victorian Titans at the time, which was um, an NBL club. Brian Gordon, who was the national team coach and, and that club coach, and I'd just go and train with them to stay in shape. And um, Brian Gorgian kind of called Rick Majerus um, and said, "There's a kid here you need to look at," and it was it was me, obviously. and um they ended up recruiting me straight away so i ended up I ended up signing with them a letter of intent that i would go there once i'm done with the aas and do they do all that stuff like in the movies you go and actually have a meeting with them at your house and essentially yeah. yeah they fly out um they fly out and send they usually send their assistant coaches to start the process if the head coach has to go and get the deal done they'll they'll set the head coach out it depends how big of a recruit you are if yep. you're like a someone they have to have usually the big dogs come out for it and, and then rick majerus came out a few times and, and saw some games um but yeah, I was I was committed to them, and and then obviously went to the World Championships, won the gold medal. Um, the interesting thing for me was after that World Championships run, I started going to college, and I was about to go to college after that tournament. I was getting I was getting million dollar offers to go to Europe as a wow. seventeen year old. So that's when it got real for me because um you know we we didn't grow up with a whole lot. Um, my parents obviously worked very hard for for what we had, but there were times where we were doing well and times where we weren't because my father was was you know basically. A, he was a mechanic essentially, so if the economy's doing well, he's doing well. If it's not, so we, we had ups and downs growing up, um, but then to all of a sudden have a chance to make a million dollars, it, it, it questioned whether I was going to go to college or not. You know, and But I um, kind of like to think I'm a man of my word, so because I signed a letter in 10, I, I, I knocked back all those offers and, and went to, to the University of Utah, basically making no money and, and, and living off food scraps for two years and then get to the NBA, but I think it, it worked out pretty well. That's incredible, yeah, it definitely did. Um, college. Again,
0: Australians, we see a lot about it in the movies, uh, American Pie and whatnot. Is it is it actually like that?
1: To an extent it is. Um, Utah's a bit more tame, obviously it's it's still a pretty big school, but um, yeah, I mean if you wanna if you wanna get out and about and find parties and have fun, there's every night there's something going on. <laughs> um, you know, some of the other schools you, you know, in Florida and whatnot are even crazier, talking to some some ex NBA teammates that went to some of those schools. But um, it's one of those things if you want to find trouble you'll find it if you want to find parties or girls or wherever you are in the world you can always find that stuff but um i just i I enjoyed it i think it was it was really cool just to be you know they're really proud about their schools in the states so it's it's a really you know you got their shirt on your back and you you hate the other school down the road and um there's a real culture about going to university which is kind of cool so just to be a part of that was sensational and you know the, the crowds are unbelievable in college basketball like it's 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 full on you know going on the road and our rivals were BYU who are who are a, a team down south at an hour bus ride i mean state school rivals um so just experiencing that was was really awesome yeah unreal uh so you have your obviously great career there at
0: utah um it's all going well and you're touted as the number one pick or in the top two at least uh how does that all come to fruition from there do you know you're going to go number one do you speak to anyone is it what does it happen on draft night
1: yeah, so for me, you know, my second year in college, like I started getting a lot of national attention mm-hmm. and just kept playing better and better and better and better and got to the NCAA tournament and had a great tournament. I basically went went with a team that was, you know, no, no one else on, the, on my team went professional. Um, so we didn't have a lot of professional pro, guys that turned pro. Um, we were a good, solid team, but I think, um, you know, Scouts realized, you know, this team's gone further than it should Andrew's playing really well whatever, whatever, whatever so ended up um, signing with an agent as soon as college finished and, and we put together a strategy on, on how to best handle it we knew I was going to go top top three, top five somewhere around there but the more we spoke my agent spoke to people it was like well Milwaukee I have on one pick Atlanta I have two we don't think you're falling below that um, so I only worked out for two teams I, only, I went and worked out for Milwaukee and, and Atlanta so um, you go and actually train with them prior to the did, a, did an hour workout yeah, right. with each team. Um, some some guys do. If you're a first round pick and not knowing where you're going to be, say your top could be top twenty. Some guys work out with twenty teams, you know, so they're just flying before the draft happens. So,
0: so it's like a testing, or is it like you actually train with the team? So
1: some so, so our, my strategy was I'm not doing it with anybody else. Yeah, uh, it's a one on one. Yeah, you get to see me in person. Um, so if you're generally a top three or four, top ten pick, you generally do it that way. Yeah, from a, strategic point of view because the last thing you want is you could go into a workout, and a guy absolutely kills you, yeah. you have a bad day, and then yeah, yeah, all of a sudden if you're like a more late first rounder, they'll put, they'll group you with three or four other people in your position to go at. So that, that, that all comes down to how your agent wants to play it from a strategy point of view. There's some some guys in the past that have done absolutely no workouts. Cause and then, then it's then it's that game, the strategy of wait, he must have got a promise from somebody. He must have got a promise from the sixth pick they must be taking him wow and they'll leak stuff on purpose to, 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 give to him, get you up yeah to give him some leverage to get you up so there's, there's a whole there's a whole jeez you there's, know, a, game it's a, there's a game of monster it's yeah. a theory, there's a whole theory on how to do it and every agent does it differently obviously and you did it pretty well <laughs> yeah, sometimes it works really well I mean, the good thing for me was my body of work proved itself in college. Yeah. But there's been guys from u- Europe that have been, oh, is this really good guy in Europe? We don't really have any game film, but he's supposed to be really good. And they've, they've hoodwinked, guys, hoodwinked teams before, you know, taking sixth or seventh pick, and they get him they're like, oh, yeah, no, he's not taking that no, no, <laughs> Oh, like the GM's probably going to get fired in a couple of years yeah. for they that pick. So it's pretty interesting, like, talking to agents about it, different agents do it differently, but that's a whole separate podcast, which to me is always intriguing of how, how they List do it. management but sort my, of, yeah. yeah. My agent was... He interned for David Folk, who was Michael Jordan's agent So back in the day, so he came through that system, and he was really well-read. He's a lawyer by, by background, so I really, really trusted him and, and the, the way he, he he kind of built me up, um, knowing my personality and what I like and what I don't like. He knew I wasn't a guy that was Hollywood and wanted to go on movies and all that kind of crap, so he knew that wasn't me, so he knew me well. And we built it up and, and worked out for both those teams, and then none of them uh, walk out the number one pick, so we were kind of like, hey, like, do you think you're – they wouldn't, they wouldn't give me that, an answer They're like, you know, just wait till draft night, we're not We're not gonna release. So it was basically out of me and another kid for number one, Marvin Williams, and um, they, they didn't tell me, people thought they did, but they didn't tell me till, till David Stern called my name. So um, pretty pretty interesting lead up to it.
0: That's huge. It's probably good they they held off as well. You have that initial surprise. I think that's what I want to do one.
1: as well, yeah. And, and you just never know if, you know. Never know. The agent could leak it early, you know, some clubs don't want to do that.
0: So you walk in the first day, Milwaukee Bucks, uh, in footy, there's a lot of, well, I don't know if this happens everywhere, but well, it does definitely in AFL, but we have a lot of initiations that first use have to do. So you know there might be something at the Christmas drinks or first day you have to do some sort of thing. Was well, there anything like that at the Bucks?
1: Yeah, so rookies all over the league. Um, I think it's toned down a little bit now with, with all, the, all the HR departments now. <laughs> you know, it's probably the most staff department in any business these days <laughs> and any team is the HR department. So it's toned back now a little bit, but when I was a rookie, um, basically rookie duties if it was someone's birthday you had to sing a happy birthday um you had to i had to get donuts to every shoot around so game day game days when we play at night we have a light shoot around in the morning i had to get donuts for after that um a lot of times guys wouldn't need them but i just had to get them <laughs> i had to go buy a birthday cake if it was someone's birthday and the main initiation for us was um you had to uh, perform a song in front of the team um, in preseason so we did mine at the Brett Favre we had a game in Green Bay we had a um, preseason game in, in, in Green Bay just a practice game and we went to the Brett Favre Steakhouse so basically all right we're ready for your song it was me and another fella and um the other fella was from Turkey couldn't speak English <laughs> properly which was interesting in itself um and then they came out with um with some nappies and said put these on so I had to put some na- <laughs> just a nappy nothing else like a bait like how big was it like a I was, I guess, it was an adult nappy or a diaper, <laughs> as they call it. So chuck the chuck the nappy on, nothing else on. Um, so you're naked, basically, besides a nappy. And yeah. You got to come out. They got their dummies for you, pacifiers. So oh put those God. in. Basically, treat you like a rookie, like a baby. Yeah. Um, and then I sung, I sung the national anthem, um, and the Turkish kids sung Turkish national anthem, yeah. um, and then <laughs> mine got a little funky because. They had a, a waitress come in and had to kind of give her a little dance. Um, nothing nothing crazy, yeah. but just if it was done today, it'd definitely be a, a Me Too movement thing. But yeah, nothing inappropriate, but just more to embarrass the absolute crap out of me and the other rookies. So that was the rookie initiation. And then from then on, it was basically just do basic errands. Like one, one veteran wanted me to bring him a newspaper every morning on the road. Um, one One veteran would call me the night before every game on the road and asked me what time shoot-around was. Um, so after a while, I was like, okay, so as I'm getting off the bus the night before, I go up to that veteran and I say, mate, shoot-around tomorrow is 10.30. Like, you don't have to call me. The bus is at 10. He's like, okay, cool. I got you up that night. Call me. Like and he'd call me around midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, every road trip. He'd be like, hey, young fella, what time shoot-around? I'm just like, bro. Like, so then I was like joking, saying I'm going to disconnect my phone. He said, if you disconnect your phone, like, I'm going to mess with you for the rest of the season. Like, so... You got to call. Yeah, but he was also great. I would go out with him every now and then, and and, and he really took care of me when we went out. And um, he's actually an assistant coach for Toronto now. But uh, yeah, that its just basic errand stuff. Um, you want to generally do what the veterans ask and say. Yeah. It's never too crazy. It might put your day out thirty minutes or an yeah. hour. But we, um, in Golden State, we had a rookie push back a little bit on, on a few things, and um, we filled his car up with popcorn like <laughs> to the roof, um, to the absolute roof. He just bought a an Audi, an Audi coupe an A5 Coupe which he was really proud of he didn't have a lot of money because he was a second round pick basically destroyed the interior of his car he said he said like five months later in the summer he's had the car back in Atlanta and was driving around and turned the AC on and a popcorn kernel flew <laughs> out. So, and then another bloke was was mouthy with me a little bit as I was walking out of the locker room, just jokingly, like said something un, 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 under his breath and I heard it and I said, what'd you say? And he's like, oh no, no I'm just joking, I'm just joking. I said, okay. And then the next day he took his took all the tires off his car <laughs> and put him in the locker room. Um, so he's come back from training in the locker room. He's like, oh, whose tires are those? They look like mine. I'm, yeah, they are yours. Yep. So then he had to call Mercedes Assist and uh, he had Mercedes and explained to him that he had four tyres off his car and they're like, what do you mean? Do you have a flat tyre? I'm like, no, no, just all my tyres are off the car. and he them put back on. And it took him a, the whole day basically to get someone out to put his tyres on. But they're the kind of things you do... With, you do. Um, nothing too crazy, but um, I think today it's definitely toned back a whole lot more from when I was a rookie.
0: 100%. That's that's the best part about playing
1: team sports, just that locker room banter. Um, oh, no doubt. Yeah, it's very, very enjoyable. And we're around each other a lot. Like, footies is probably the same, but you know we're on planes pretty much every other day, um, hotel rooms, all that kind of stuff. So you, you want to try to have as much fun as you can. Mm. So my when I first got drafted, a bit like yourself, you,
0: you come from sort of nothing. You have no money at all. My first paycheck was just it was about six Christmases in one. I bought a skateboard. Best day ever. <laughs> a skateboard. What, what did you spend your first paycheck? On? I'm sure you treated yourself for
1: something. Uh, I, I think I, I took care of my family first, to be honest with you. I um, I bought my, my sister and my parents a car each. Um, and that was basically my first paycheck. Um, so I had actually borrowed, so I left college in, in April, um, our first paycheck in the NBA is until November 15. So yeah. um, that's a long time between drinks to make no money. So I yeah. actually loaned money through my agency. I borrowed some money from my agent. I think it was a hundred grand or 200 grand, just you know, so I could take care Live. of my family, yeah. do different things, um, didn't use it all, but just the fact that he loaned it and then I just paid it back as soon as I got my first paycheck, which helped, but um, yeah, I think the family was, was probably the first stuff, first real big, big spend. Um, as far as me personally, Oh, I can't even remember. I wasn't one of those guys that was like, "I gotta have this." So yeah. I was just kind of more getting my apartment settled, you know, figuring out how to furnish an apartment, doing yeah. all that, all that kind of stuff, which you don't even think about as a young kid out of college. Um, but the first nice p- purchase I made was probably my second year in the NBA. I, b- I bought a um, a Porsche Cayenne um, mm. SUV. So that was probably probably really cool at that point.
0: Jeez, it's hot, Tommy. Get me an air conditioner. It's summer, mate. Australian heat. It just bloody cooks you. Oh, get me to the beach, mate. Mate, good thing. Bond's new boardies are in town and they're gee whiz, they're good. Not Bonds again. <laughs> They've done it again, mate. They've got the quick dry technology to get you to the beach to the bar in no time. The beach to the bar. We're talking North Bondi fish to the North eye grassy knoll. That's it, mate. They're long hot days in the sun and the sand. and Gee whiz, we'll go build some sandcastles. Where do I get a pair of these bad boys? <laughs> Bonds.com.au I'll oh, say it Bonds.com.au. Bonds.com.au. Bonds oh. <laughs> so your time at Milwaukee Bucks obviously played some incredible basketball. You established, uh, you established yourself as one of the best centres in the game. Uh, one thing that I love about Australians playing NBA is we have a bit of a reputation about being a bit narky, a bit tough, a bit you know, a bit rough. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Do you reckon uh, did the NBA actually feel that way? Do you think yourself, dover You've really got that set the
1: standard there. Yeah, I think so. I, I think um, it's just that nature. I guess most of us played footy, or you know, most of it was most of us were AFL. At least did I did I did Oz uh, kick when it was still called Vic kick. So it tells you how how old I am. But um, I think we're we're kind of used to that niggly type stuff, and it's just part of the part of the game in footy or basketball here in Australia. And I think um, at times we get a rep of being borderline dirty, but it's. I don't think it is i think it's just the fact that there's a lot of guys over in the nba that are too cool, too, too cool for school and at times don't you know you shouldn't lay a fingernail on them because they're superstars whereas like myself Dally, Bainesy, like we don't care yeah. <laughs> like you know we're, we're happy to get into it with you we're happy to hard foul somebody if we have to and um that's just the way it is so that's that, that was the way we were, we were taught to play um and yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think we've we've got a reputation now around the world and, and in the NBA of being tough, gritty, gritty players. Um, that now has been mixed in with talent. Whereas before it was all tough, gritty, tough, gritty, tough, gritty, um, which sometimes can be a, a code word for not talented uh, or not athletic. But now the likes of Ben and Dante and those guys, I think there's a mix of that Tough, greedy, with with the athleticism and talent, and then you're getting world-class athletes, you get world class athletes playing in the NBA. You
0: can't. I suppose you come of a lot of scrutiny with your your screening because obviously you like yep. to do the legal screens. Yeah. Who were some of the players that hated playing against you? Do you reckon?
1: Um. Uh, look, we when I first got to Golden State, we had it. We had a real issue um, with with the LA Clippers. Like they used to just destroy us, and own, they used to own us. Like and going into those games, I could see a few guys on the team were always a little bit on edge going to those Clippers games just because Blake would be dunking on everyone Chris Paul would be doing what he wanted um, so once I got there um, I still remember I think it was the first or second season um, I hard fouled DeAndre Jordan and he arced up and gave me a little shove and I just got straight back up in his face and, like shoved him in the face and we got double tees and I think that that was kind of the line in the sand yeah. moment for our club to tell the Clippers, like, nah, no more. Like, this is this is not going to happen anymore. And and from that point, we basically owned them. Um, so I know I know Blake hated. You know, I was physical with Blake as I could. We we, we get double tees pretty much every time I played against him. We get in a little scuffle. Um, Chris Paul, same thing. So that was as a as team versus team. That was an awesome turning point for our franchise. Just to finally get away from that boogeyman, of the LA Clippers, and then and then we went on to. To, to a greater success than they, than they ever did, which was
0: kind of cool. Unreal. Uh, we touched on it before the, the show. But we talked about our injuries together. Well, obviously, you've had a lot. Um, and I hate touching on this stuff. But obviously, you had, did have a big, significant injury when you were at you the Bucks with, yep. with the elbow. It was huge. Um, yep. what, what was that like coming back from that? Obviously, was was incredibly tough.
1: I've, I've heard that you obviously got forced back a bit earlier than you hoped as well. Yeah, probably a bit me, a bit the club, but the club was obviously paying me a boatload of money to be their, their franchise guy at that point, and, and, and the most frustrating thing was I had my first probably year or two in the NBA, I was inconsistent, my third year I found consistency and averaged you know, a double-double, and think like 14 and, you know, 13 and 10 or whatever I did, and then that, that fourth year was my career year. Um, I just missed out on being an all-star, ended up making the all-NBA third team, um, and felt Really the most comfortable I found out in the NBA everything kind of was coming together with all the work I was putting in and then um just a free play, you know, just just caught the ball out on a break and um Got a little shove from Murray and Jumped off one foot which you know as an athlete, you know when you jump off one foot Your, your stability kind of goes and he just gave me a little poke on that first step that I took off Just gave me a little tap on the bum as I went up and um ended up being basically parallel with the floor at one point and just i don't know why still to this day i just couldn't hang on to the rim came down and then stupidly put my um put my arm down if i didn't i probably could have broke my back because i was was essentially eight foot high at that point um probably should have learned how to fall into my shoulder more and rather do the ac joint than the elbow but um yeah looked down and my my elbow was facing me completely so i basically broke my elbow completely dislocated it and broke some bone off when i dislocated it um you know broke my my index finger broke my wrist on both sides so that was that was just a hard injury because it was my shooting hand um so I lost a lot of touch it took me about three four years to get just get any resemblance of shooting touch back um so I was kind of a capable shooter from the outside before that um internationally shot threes and did all that stuff but um yeah just lost it all and then mentally just getting that back was the hardest part so I, I ended up I ended up doing the injury in March and was told, you know, six to nine month injury, um, and really smashed the physio. And, and I was back on the court in September. Stupidly, um, had no, had couldn't extend my elbow properly. Still had to tape it up, and came back and played, and still, still played okay, considering I could really only use my left hand. Um, yeah. Average double double. Still came back and was complaining about. I was getting stabbing pains every time I'd so one out of four shots I'd shoot, I would get like a stabbing pain in my elbow. So I was like telling the trainers like something's not right. Like I'm getting this stabbing pain and sciatic and it's hitting my nerve and flicking. And so sometimes I'd be shooting make four in a row and then I'd airball the fifth one. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Um, and they they kind of made me feel like you know you're just you're just being a pussy kind of thing. Like suck it up, you know, blah blah blah. And then at the end of the season I went and got a scope and um, the doctor pulled out it. there was a chunk of loose bone in there. So as an athlete, you know. Ankles, knee, basically ankles and elbows joints. If you have a floater in there, you, you know about it. Um, it really can affect everything. And they took that bone out, and it was a pretty big shard of, of bone floating in there. So I got that cleaned out, and then slowly got got my elbow back to where I needed to be. And um, it kind of changed my game a lot. It did, um, to be honest. And thankfully, I, I learned how to really become a good defender, so that that helped me stay in the league. Um, and then. Still was able to play a role uh, once I got to once I got to Golden State, which thankfully we didn't need need me to score a lot because we had Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and whatnot, and was happy to play that role and, and be on a on a genuine championship contending team. Unreal, and
0: that's what I want to touch on now, mate. Like obviously post Bucks, you made your way to Golden State, as you mentioned. Uh, we all know the powerhouse that they were. Um, that you guys were obviously for a few years there, and still uh, obviously playing some good basketball. Uh, do you reckon that was your best experience playing basketball with those guys and that team at that
1: time? yeah it was I think just the way we just because it built from the ground up <clears throat> so I got traded there in the 2011 2012 season I once again got, got hurt broke, got tunneled broke my ankle and I was out for the season and um, Milwaukee the GM and the coach were under pressure to make the playoffs I think were ninth or 10th of that spot close to the 8th seed so they made a home run played they got Monte Ellis and and um, for me in a trade, sent me to Golden State. Golden State were out of the playoffs at that point, so they basically got me knowing I was hurt. They were happy to not win any more games and get a high draft pick. Um, Drafted really well that next year. Had been to the playoffs I think once or twice in the last 20 odd years, so not a lot of success. New owner comes in, trades Montalas, who was a fan favorite. I get traded there, I'm hurt. Owner gets booed as soon as they announce the trade, so all this turmoil with the fans. Um, Steph had an injury history at that point, couldn't get healthy, and then finally he started getting healthy. So we, we, we draft the right pieces, we make the playoffs that year, win fifty games. Not even supposed to be there. We make the second round, push San Antonio to six games, but I'm out of the playoffs. Then we sign Andre Iguodala in free agency, make a few more tweaks to the roster, and then and then the arrow just kept going up. So the fact that that we built that from the ground up um, was awesome to be a part of. Um, and it was, it was a lot of it was basketball but a lot of it was cultural um, bringing in good people like Andre Widal, I can't speak more highly of as a, as a good veteran on that team that, that was happy to come off the bench and play a role for us high basketball IQ um, we drafted good young kids in Draymond Green Harrison Barnes Fester Cezilli and a good mix of talent that really helped you know a guy like Steph be, be who he is now um, I think guys that were happy to play a role And whereas I think early in Steph's career he had a few guys on that team that were kind of trying to didn't want to share the limelight with him, you know, and I think um, you know, Steph was our, our guy and ends up winning two MVPs, we win some championships and then then you have the likes of a guy like Kevin Durant wanting to come into that system and, and be part of it. Everyone knows these guys like Steph Curry. What was he like as a bloke off the court? What are these guys like? Um, everyone's different. I mean Steph's kind of very similar, uh similar off the court. He's he's, he's very quiet at times, uh, very humble, very good. Just a great person, like one of the few guys that's that's a really good person in the NBA that portrays that that public image of being a good guy. He actually completely is like that off the court. Yep. Whereas in pro sports, I'm not sure how it is in footy, but a lot of guys, what they are on camera and on radio is completely different off the court, off the field. Um, they're the guys that shit me the most because it's just it's just Hollywood and it's completely fake. And and fans and that will have this perception of them, and and you're like it's complete opposite off the court. But Steph was one of the, one of the absolutes that was like that that is what he is off do. the court yeah. um so absolutely awesome to be around um he was a poker buddy of mine so we used to play poker on the plane all the time um and yeah really really, really good couldn't be happier for him and, and he he experienced the same thing you know he goes to a small school wasn't recruited highly as a young fella gets in the nba um had huge ankle issues during his career people were writing him off saying it was a bad draft pick whatever and Ends up being a two-time MVP and one of the, he's, he's gonna go around as the greatest shooter ever play the game for sure.
0: It's incredible. It's it's so funny to even think that one. I'm sitting down with you, but two, you you know these guys. Technically, I'm mates with them now as well.
1: Yeah, the degree of separation. <laughs> <right. laughs>
0: um, you just touched on before the uh, the plane trips because this is something I've heard so much about with with teams and traveling. Obviously, you travel so so often. Um, the games that you guys play on the planes, like gambling, blackjack, card games, poker, etc. What's some of the biggest things you've seen some players do on the on the planes?
1: As far as how much they've lost?
0: Yeah, lost or won or what they've put up.
1: Oh, Those guys that like I've heard I've heard stories. Um, we had a pretty big game in Dallas and, and Golden State um, where, where money was changing hands fairly often. Um, but the, the the worst story that play the NBA players play a game called Bure, which is um, You'd have to look it up, but it's hard to explain. But basically, if you if you don't win a round of cards, you gotta match the pot. So everyone puts in 20 bucks, there's five players, $100. If you don't get a round of cards, you gotta match the whole pot, so you gotta put 100 in the next time. So that can get built up pretty quickly. You know, it sounds like a small amount of money, $20, $20, but there's been pots at 50, 60, $70,000 at times, right? So um, we are playing Denver in a playoff series and one of my teammates is friends with a guy on the Denver team and he had a brand new Bentley in the in the, in the car park. So, a teammate of mine goes, oh man, like a nice car, um, that's, that's really nice. You, you spend that money, like joking around. And he's like, I didn't buy it. Player X bought it for me. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, Bray. So I guess, I guess this guy lost $180,000. dollars not gonna mention names, but $180,000. So the player he pay he pays the debt. The guy goes and cashes the check and literally just goes to a dealership oh. and buys a brand new Bentley. So yeah, there's some pretty crazy stories, uh, pretty crazy stories of some of some gambling. And I'm I'm a gambler by nature. I'm not I'm not stupid. I'm not um, I don't really play games. Um, like I'm not a am not a sports better. I'm not a blackjack. I'm not. I don't play against the house. I, I play a lot of poker. So yeah. I enjoyed it. You know, because um, one thing about professional athletes and especially NBA players is is um the proud factor comes into play a lot oh yeah so it's like you're not gonna bluff me out of this pot oh you're not gonna bully me you're not gonna bully me so that played perfectly the way i i, I play poker so, so oh, did boy. you make more money in poker yeah, or MBA? yeah, NBA? yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did i did pretty well playing poker um at times so yeah it was um definitely enjoyable and i love i love poker to this day i mean we were talking before about you know your passions for doing this and and, and, and getting into this kind of stuff and especially when you're done playing um, mine, mine will probably be something with poker like I love I really love playing I love the, nu- the nuances of of dealing with human psychology um, dealing with you know I'm not a, I'm not huge into mathematics I know you know pot odds and all that kind of stuff but I like the whole the whole strategy of going to, getting into it with a guy at the table and then Having rivalries and and all that kind of stuff, figuring people out—are they bluffing? Are they not? I really really enjoy doing that.
0: My favorite thing about watching poker is the kits that everyone rocks up to. Yeah, what What, would you, what would you rock up with? I, you know, I, just,
1: I don't wear—I don't wear outfits. Just anything. Uh, yeah, would you wear nah. sunnies though? No, nah, nah, just I bring maybe some headphones if you're playing. If you're playing like a tournament, where you're sitting there for a while. I'll bring a book or some headphones or something yeah. like that. Airpods but, or headphones? But, headphones. No, yeah, okay. i'm Not an Airpod guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair
0: enough. <laughs> um now look i know you're a humble man we've talked about it all day but i just want to i want you to do something for me i want you to na- name drop i want you to name drop some of the biggest celebs you've met over in the us some guys that you've rubbed shoulders with over the years some people that you've just been like gee whiz even you've been
1: like a bit taken back by oh without sounding crazy i don't get taken back too much by by anybody um it's just i feel like everyone's human everyone gets up and has a shower and brushes their teeth so I, I don't really get two star struck but uh, Michael Jordan was probably one probably the only one yeah. um, where I was like wow like this is Michael Jordan so I met him my rookie year at, at the all star game I, went, I was in the rookie sophomore game and, and met him at a, at a party so that was that was kind of cool and he knew who I was which yeah. was that in itself was, was kind of a blast and then the other one was Tony Kukoc who was a, a Croatian basketball player and um, being Croatian descent he was a skinny kind of wiry guy much like myself as a young fellow and I kind of looked up to him um and then funnily enough my rookie year was his last year and he was on my team he was my veteran so um those two guys probably yeah but um look I've had we we got an advanced screening of the entourage at Mark Wahlberg's house with Mark Wahlberg um in LA so we had a road trip there and a friend a team out of mine Harrison Barnes had a connection and about seven or eight of us went literally to his house and watched it in his theater. It was like two months or three months before it was released. So stuff like that, especially being with Golden State, the Warriors. Once we started getting a lot of a lot of people on the bandwagon, we we just had crazy access to people wanting to meet us more than we wanted to meet them. So we got we got access to all kinds of all kinds of great influential people. Not not only celebrities but in the business world and, yeah. and having people like that. Where to this day I am doing some stuff in Silicon Valley with some with startup type investments and venture capital stuff, and and I've got a guy that's helped me and mentored me on, on how to get involved in that stuff. So just meeting those kind of people um, has been sensational. Yeah, that's the
0: best part. Even you know not to not to the extent that you've done it, but in the AFL system, my favourite thing has been that as well. Just having the access to these people that if you didn't play footy. They, you wouldn't get a coffee with them nah. and it's just it's incredible and they want to meet you probably more yeah. than you want to meet them and yeah. um, it's just incredible to hear their stories and, and leverage off, off what they've got and I think that that's probably been the one thing that I'm probably most proud that I've done um, done a lot of in in footy because it's taught me of what I want to do now and yeah. where I want to get to
1: and you never know you might, you might not be passionate about something now but you might be down the track and we were always the good thing our players association players union does is they always tell us people that are sitting core side, try to introduce yourself. People yeah. that come to your game and spend $5,000 for a ticket have probably done something well in their life to spend that much money. Yeah. Go and introduce yourself and say hello to them, say hello to their kids and, and that's what a lot of guys on our team would do um, and then every now and then they might need a favour from you or vice versa and, and they are generally, like I said, they want to meet you as much as you want to meet them. Yeah, of course. Now, mate, to finish up, I want to chat about
0: a bit about AFL. Obviously, you're a Bombers man. Yep. Um, there was a bit of news that went around recently uh, obviously I finished up here at the Giants and there was a there was a rumor going around that the, the Bombers I oh, was at the Bombers for a medical right um, now how would you
1: feel about me captaining the
0: Bombers next year
1: why not <laughs> why not we haven't uh, we could do worse <laughs> right no we um, we're we're in a bit of a lackluster bubble right now um, we're on I think we're on our 21st year of our 25 year grand plan mm-hmm. um, but uh, go for it you can give us some give us some some gutso in the middle I'll help culturally yeah that's what we need yeah. we definitely do need that I, I mean without you know smashing my own club too much I think the culture has been a bit of an issue um, I feel like the last two or three years at least let's take aside the, the, the whole drug scandal um, we've had a pretty t- talented talented roster um, we just haven't been able to get it done when we need to get it done so hopefully next year changes um, I know we're, we're making some changes with the coaches in a, in a year and worse falls moving on and all that kind of stuff but yeah um, It's been a you know the success we had in the nineties and early two thousands as a young fella following him we haven't we haven't really experienced that the last you know fifteen years so hopefully we get back on track. Do you stay involved with the club? Do they get you down there much to do anything, or have you done? Do a little bit. It's just so hard. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not a fan of going to live games. Yeah. Um, Number one, I always seem to sit on the wrong, the wrong flank (laughs) because I go to a game and uh, yeah, (laughs) I'm just like, this this? You know, I feel like I'm being single it out, you yeah. know. But um, that, um, I do get bothered a little bit going to games. Um, I don't I don't mind fan interaction when I'm out and about, but if, if I want to go watch the watch games, it, yeah. sometimes it's- it, better it's to watch a, on TV. And yeah. I love watching yeah. on TV. Yeah. You see the replays, I can go to the bathroom when I want, I can get a drink when I want. Um, not a, I'm not a fan of huge crowds, like, believe it or not, just getting in and out of there. Like, I'm not, not a huge fan of that. Um, um, pretty hard to miss. Exactly right, that. yeah. So I just try to, I, I love watching it at home. Um, but I've done some stuff with the club before. I, you know, I know Xavier pretty well. I've met with him a few times. I know at one point they, they were thinking about getting an NBL licence, so I've, I've definitely kept in touch with them. I've, I've gone and went back when they were at Windy Hill, went and spoke to a couple of boys um, a few years back, so I've, I've done some stuff with the club. But, um, yeah, it does get hard at time just to get, get, down, to, get down to the MCG or where he had at times.
0: Awesome, man. Bogues, uh, I just want to thank you, man, so much. That's all I've got for you today. Uh, it's been incredible, man. I, I, I really, really do appreciate it. I'm so grateful for your time. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I've obviously got your Dylan Friends uh, merch T-shirt, mate, to send nice. you home with so you can rock that with the boys, um, Cheryl mellow Ball and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> send you over the Bonds and some beers. And, um, mate, thanks again. Thank
1: you so much. No nice.
0: This episode was proudly brought to you by Bonds. Thanks again for listening to the show. If you loved it, please rate and leave a review. If you have any feedback, want to suggest a guest or advertise with Dylan Friends, you can contact me via email, dylan at dylanfriends.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram at buckley or at dylanfriends. For bonus content and giveaways, sign up to the email list at www.dylanfriends.com and to get notifications on release, Make sure you subscribe via iTunes or wherever else you listen to the show. And remember, be yourself. Everyone else is taking it.